informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a good day, a safe one, and we're so happy. Happy to be part of your day. Thanks for letting us be a part of your day. Here's what we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk with the CEO of the National Sorghum Producers. Tim Lust will join us. Big uh, sorghum sale to China recently, and we'll just take a look at the overall state of the industry. We're going to get a report from the Missouri State Fair. It's going on right now. It's not uh, the normal fair as far as the usual activities because of COVID-19, but they are having livestock judging, and we'll talk with the uh, Missouri Ag Director, Chris Chin, and get a report on this year's fair, and we'll get the latest Ag Equipment sales number from Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. So that's what's coming up on our program today. We'll start things off with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, good to talk with you. How are, how are things with you, uh, East Central Illinois? Things looking pretty good? Yeah, things look really good. You know, we haven't had a rain here for, oh, I don't know, a week, 10 days or so. It's been a little bit, uh, it's been seasonable, though. Not super hot. And uh, quite frankly, I think we've got enough rain to get us through. Probably have enough to get the early corn and beans. Uh, they're probably pretty much finished up. Uh, but I will tell you that, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of folks around the corn belt that seem to be hurting for rain right now. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see how we finish these crops off. Yeah, we we figure it's going to be a big crop, even with the storm damage from derecho and even with some, uh, as you said, some drier conditions here at the end of the season. But we are reminded that uh, last week reminded us big time, and even with the lack of rain here for some areas closing things out, that we're not quite done yet finishing this crop off. No, we're not. You know, I would say that a lot of those beans planted in the month of May, you know, they definitely need a rain. Uh, we were very fortunate in that we were able to plant all of our beans in the month of April, uh, we did have a few replants we had to go through, but uh, we actually had to replant more corn than what we did beans. And I, they definitely, uh, the corn could use another rain. Uh, but bottom line is, I think we've built ourselves an awful big crop all the way around, probably a more impressive crop on the soybean side than corn. And I would say that's the case, uh, not just for us, but for a lot of folks in the Midwest. You know, you talk to producers around uh, just pretty much anywhere you talk, and uh, they they want to smile pretty big whenever they're talking about their bean crop. I think this bean crop could be pretty special. Yeah, the uh, the cooler August has kind of helped uh, offset some of the uh, lack of rain in places. Now, it, it's expected to be a big enough crop to, speaking of offsetting, I mean, you can have a major event like derecho last week through a, a key production area like Iowa and really not impact the markets that much. Yeah, I mean, to me, though, I guess my last week's uh, crop report, if we're honest about it, I mean, it was, it was not a friendly report. I mean, not only did we see uh, bigger yields than what the trade was expecting, but we saw uh, larger carryouts than the trade was expecting. Now, those carryouts could have been much larger, but the USDA actually was pretty aggressive on demand. And so uh, what I would think is this ratio storm uh, actually stabilized the market gave us the opportunity to rally at a time whenever we, we probably needed that little extra shot in the arm. Now, uh, you know, uh, this storm, in my opinion, the, the biggest impact you could see from it is that whenever you start talking about a two to 400 million bushel drop 
you know, in the crop size, uh, yeah, you're probably going to gain some bushels elsewhere, but let's say we drop it 250. All of a sudden, you're talking about a two and a half carry, uh, you know, which isn't near as burdensome as the three billion carry. It's not as burdensome as the 2758 that the USDA came out with. So as you whittle that carry out down, it certainly uh, keeps you in a position where, you know, an issue somewhere in the world or uh, lack of acreage maybe this next spring uh, certainly could be something that could rally the market. Well, it certainly does, too, have an impact on uh, those that uh, were hit by the storm in the path of the storm, and certainly we uh, our thoughts and prayers with them as they still assessing damage and, and trying to make decisions where they go from here. Another part of this, a lingering impact as we head into harvest, Matt, will be the uh, the, the structural damage, the bends that were lost. Yeah, absolutely. And I've said all along from the very first day, I mean, some of the co-ops uh, that we do business with as far as uh, – Ag Market and John Stewart, you know, we, we actually have talked to folks that have lost 15 to 20 million bushels of storage. Uh, the impact upon basis, not only in the hardest hit areas, uh, you know, they're in central, the east central Iowa, uh, you know, I, I would say that the impact could be profound. Uh, and, and I think that's going to filter out. And so I think into western Illinois and eastern Nebraska, there's going to be areas that are going to experience a, a positive basis impact uh, from the fact that you've got a really uh, – uh, an area that uses a ton of corn, and it's not going to have it available, first of all. Second of all, obviously, you got to find a place to put this stuff. You know, and then third of all, uh, you know what? you got a lot of damage whenever you're talking about a lot of down corn. Uh, low test weight, it's certainly going to be something you're going to have to keep a very close eye on. So good, high-quality corn is going to come at a premium uh, throughout this entire marketing year, especially right there in central Iowa. Yep, may see that impact uh, later on. And probably more uh, storage on ground, maybe more bags this year, although I would I would think uh, farmers will let it dry in the field as long as they can, won't they? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough year, you know, to, to pick wet corn. You know, whenever you're looking at prices that are still running, you know, 45 cents below the free insurance price, you know, it's not exactly uh, something that makes you feel rosy about going out and picking 25% corn. And so uh, I've got to think that they're going to let it dry out in the field. Now, as far as down corn, I mean, it, it's sometimes it's better to pick it whenever there's some life in the plant or you just have an absolute catastrophe. I've picked a lot of down corn in my time, and it's no fun whatsoever. And so you're going to want a little bit of life in that plant if possible. Probably going to be carrying some moisture. And uh, down corn definitely doesn't dry down as well as corn that's standing up. So there's going to be a lot of issues that are going to come out of that uh, and again, I think damage and test weight, and you know, I think those are going to be things that you're going to see for quite some time. I know here in Illinois, talking with farmers, I I think some of them were looking at shortly after Labor Day to get started harvesting, but this cooler August has kind of slowed things, and uh, I think it's going to be a little later than that they thought. Yeah, absolutely. And I would have said that we were going to start the day after Labor Day for quite a while. And then August, obviously, the first half of August was fairly cool. Now, the next two-week forecast for me, I'm in the mid, uh, low to mid-80s, which is really, I mean, it's ideal. I mean, yeah, again, we could probably use another rain, but you've got really good grain-fill weather coming up here. And I think 80 to 85 degrees is actually going to help you kind of bring this thing along and you'll be able to see uh, corn that's down to maybe 20% harvested at least by the 15th of September. So I've got to think that we're going to be starting somewhere in that 10th to 15th time frame, especially with the stuff that we planted April 5th, 6th, 7th. Real quick, uh, what's your projection on the size of this corn crop? 
You know, uh, we were, we were uh, thinking that it was a little bigger than what the USDA had said previously, but I would say now with the 181.8 that the USDA is projecting, I don't think that will grow. Uh, I do think the bean crop will get bigger from here, though, especially if we catch one more rain. Okay, Matt, good to talk with you. Take care. Thanks, Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Up next, there have been a lot of purchases by China, one of them being a big sorghum purchase. We're going to talk with the CEO of National Sorghum Producers, talk about exports and talk about uh, just the state of the industry overall, dealing with COVID and other issues. Tim Luss, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers, joins us next right here on AOA. Stay with us. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, among some of the recent purchases of ag products by China has been uh, some big purchases of U.S. sorghum. Joining us now to talk about it is the CEO of the National Sorghum Producers and Sorghum Checkoff, Tim Lust. Tim, thanks for joining us. Significant purchases. Uh, I know you're happy with that. What What do you feel led up to those purchases by China? Well, Mike, it's certainly, you know, we've certainly continued to see China really ramp up since uh, last fall and, and start making, you know, routine weekly purchases. And so we've, we've seen the trade move back to what is a lot more normal for our industry over the last six months. And, you know, I think that certainly uh, led to um, – you know, comfort level there. And then uh, with our crop report last week and and raising our yield uh, quite a lot and uh, with some really timely rains in Kansas and bigger production, well, um, you know, I think we were expecting good sales. I don't know that we were expecting uh, them to buy 9% of our crop in one week. Uh, And uh, so, you know, 32 million bushels uh, by you know, any commodity standards is a big week. And uh, so certainly from our standpoint, uh, that's something that we continue to, to work through with our buyers on the other end to, to figure out exactly where all that's going and what all segments it's going into, but uh, certainly a big purchase. Yeah, nice to get a pleasant surprise on something like this. Now, let's talk about the logistics of it actually getting to China. What can you tell us? Well, you know, everything so far has is, is worked remarkably smooth. And, uh, you know, we've been able to get through the inspection process. Uh, rail logistics have been very favorable so far this year and uh, been able to load boats uh, out, of the, out of the Texas Gulf primarily, which is where most of our sorghum goes out of, uh, very efficiently. So, so far, so good uh, in terms of things. I know there were some concerns uh, due to COVID about inspections and, and could we end up with issues there, but we just haven't seen those. So uh, a lot of this sorghum, of course, is moving into southern China, and as grain prices in China continue to go up uh, for all commodities, well, that certainly provides an opportunity uh, not just into some of the specialty markets, which uh, you know are kind of always at a premium for sorghum, but then also even into some of the feed markets in southern China now as well. 
Well, it's good to hear it's actually moving because we know there can be a, a big difference between an announced sale and the actual delivery of a commodity. So uh, sorghum is moving into China then. Absolutely. I mean, we're loading we're loading a number of boats every week and, and have been doing that now, you know, for the past five months. And uh, so we're, you know, I think the biggest, uh, you know, a lot of this sales obviously was new crop announcements. And a lot of that is, is as we've moved uh, harvest up through uh, the coastal bend of Texas and uh, central Texas, you know, most of that sorghum has gone straight to the port at harvest and uh, been loaded on boats and is already gone. And so, you know, really rolled from old crop to new crop here in the last three weeks is, uh, you know, is really the reality is, is is a lot of these sales will now wait till October, November, till we get into harvest further north, and uh, uh, you know a lot of logistics being set up to to aggressively handle that crop at harvest and get it moved south to the ports and and get it exported. We're talking with Tim Lust, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers and Sorghum Checkoff. Tim, does this have an impact, you think, on acres next year? Does this send a signal? Does it strengthen the basis and, and, and give a signal to plant more next year? You know, it, it does. In a lot of interior locations, you know, we've seen a 60, 70 cent basis improvement. And, uh, you know, for this point in time, in a, in a crop year, a very strong basis for sorghum. And so it certainly sends that signal. Um, obviously, uh, sorghum is still, you know, somewhat tied to, to a national corn price. And, and with that still being low, um, you know, certainly we're, we're not talking about uh, crazy high numbers today, but competitively compared to other crops and, and in, in relation to where other items are, uh, certainly there is a market signal there uh, that says to plant more acres. And, and I think a lot of our growers uh, have continued to have good experiences the last few years. You know, our industry went through a, a challenge with a with an aphid several years ago, and, and we've learned a lot, got a lot of resistant genetics and worked through a lot of those challenges. And so we saw, you know, acres tick up a little bit this year and certainly expect next year that there will be a, a good opportunity for a more significant increase next year. Tell us how the industry has worked to, to not only improve yield, but also quality of, of, of the crop and uh, the strides you have made the last few years in, the, in those areas. Well, I, you know, I think for our industry, we just went so many years without investment and we didn't have a pipeline. And so the exciting thing now is to see that pipeline uh, that, that most commodities are, are used to starting to come into play. And so, you know, for us, uh, you know, one of the big ones is is next year and the year after uh, having some new herbicide technologies come to the market that will really help us control our biggest two challenges, and those are grasses and, and pigweeds. And so certainly there's some things there that will help with a higher quality and, and, and less weed pressure in our commodity, and I think will lead to some more yield improvement there. Um, you know, like all other commodities, we continue to evaluate all the new genetic tools and, and uh, that are available and, uh, you know, just what you can do from a genetic improvement standpoint, uh, quality improvement standpoint today. It's just so vastly different than, than the discussions we could have five years ago or 20 years ago. And so, you know, we continue to evaluate that on the checkoff side, working with private industry of how we make those investments to continue to, to catch up and uh, get our crop in an even more competitive situation going forward for the next 15 years.
How has COVID impacted your industry? I, I'm sure the the impact on the ethanol industry certainly impacted uh, in, impacted you because that's become a growing part of your business. Absolutely, and you know that's one of the challenges that uh, had we not had some of these um, you know export sales, then we'd be in a really tough situation because. You know, we've certainly seen slowdown there, although I would say most of our sorghum ethanol plants have stayed running and and stayed running at full capacity. So uh, a little bit better in that scenario than I thought we might be in the spring, but uh, certainly we've still, you know, that is the cornerstone of our demand, and particularly in our western areas where logistics just don't work nearly as well to the export market. So ethanol remains significantly important to us and uh, certainly still some challenges there, but at least a uh, you know, little bit better situation there than it was a few months ago, but still a long road ahead there and uh, still, frankly, need some government support and help to help that industry move through some of the challenges, uh, but then some long-term supply and demand situations that just have to be worked through there as well. Hopefully, I'd uh, be very excited to see some China imports of ethanol. Uh, you know, I think that would make logical sense with the Phase 1 agreement, and uh, we remain hopeful that uh, we'll see that sometime here in the future. Yeah, we keep waiting to see that. Hopefully we will. And again, back to China, uh, with these big purchases of sorghum, is there any indication, is this it for a while, or are you thinking, uh, does it look like uh, the good chance they'll, they'll have they'll keep purchasing here moving forward through this year? You know, I, I really do think they will keep moving forward. Uh, they have, um, you know, they were they were short, and um, and with logistics prices of moving grain around into China from north to south, and uh, the short some of the challenges in production in the south. Um, you know, I feel like we'll continue to see that. Um, you know, the other thing that's really significant that's helping U.S. sorghum sales as well as U.S. corn sales is is. Uh, the challenges with Australia and China and, uh, you know, the big tariffs on some of the Australian barley, um, you know, that's several million metric tons a year that, that flowed into China there. And so that's certainly helping us. Um, you know, that could change, uh, but, you know, I don't see it changing in the next few months. So I think uh, we continue to see strong demand uh, coming out of southern China on the feed market side over the next uh, number of months. And who are your other big buyers of U.S. sorghum? You know, Japan has remained uh, very consistent uh, throughout this process, even with basis increases. Uh, Japan has remained a, a very solid, stable customer and, and buying sorghum. Um, you know, we have some smaller markets, but, uh, you know, some of the uh, um, African markets uh, that really rely on sorghum uh, more as a, a food um, have been buying some purchases. And then Mexico, um, you know, we do a fair amount of truck market business uh, from South Texas into Mexico and uh, continue to see, well, maybe not the rail business we've normally seen with Mexico, still see some truck business happening uh, going across from Texas into, into Mexico. All right, Tim. Thanks for the update. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. All right. Tim La, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers and sorghum checkoff up next a report from the missouri state fair in sedalia stay with us you're listening to aoa information america's farmers and ranchers need to know 
Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. It's not business as usual, but the Missouri State Fair is going on this week in Sedalia, Missouri. And here to tell us about it is the Director of Agriculture for the State of Missouri, Chris Chin. Chris, thanks for joining us. How are things going there at the fair? They're going great. We've had beautiful weather all week long for the kids and their parents. The livestock have handled well, and there's just a lot of smiles on the Missouri State Fairgrounds. Has to seem different, uh, not having all the normal state fair activities, but I know for those uh, exhibitors, they're happy to have the opportunity to to uh, uh, be out there in the show ring and all the work they've put in, uh, you know, this is what they look forward to, and I'm glad they have that opportunity. Yeah, it is very different this year, but everyone has been very understanding of the changes that we've had to implement, and they're very appreciative for the opportunity for their kids to be able to be here to show the project. You know, I haven't met one kid or parent that hasn't come up and said, hey, thanks for finding a way to make this work. You know, they were just really appreciative. They really were excited that the kids got to come to the Missouri State Fair to have this opportunity and this learning experience. We've seen so many older kids mentoring their younger brothers and sisters um, and it's just you know that part is normal that's something we see every year on the state fairground what steps have you had to take even with the reduced schedule and fewer people on the grounds what steps have you had to take because of COVID-19 to try to keep everyone as safe as possible well, we have masks at every entrance of the state fairgrounds, as long as well as signs reminding people to social distance when when necessary. Um, we have extra hand sanitizer all over the fairgrounds, as well as additional hand washing stations. Um, and our our superintendents of every barn multiple times remind people about you know hand sanitizing, washing your hands, social distancing. If you're around people who are not within your family for more than 15 minutes, um, we've just been trying to do everything we can to make sure that that the fair attendees and the kids are safe, um, but yet that they're still able to take care of their livestock and have a good time. How are the uh, exhibitor numbers? Are they about what they normally are, or are they down any? We're actually up a little bit. We have a little over 400 more exhibitors this year than last year. Um, We have over 5,000 exhibits um, between the goats, the sheep, the pigs, the cattle, and, and the poultry, so we were excited about that. And that doesn't even count the number of exhibits that are being shown in the 4-H building um, as well this year. So we had a really great turnout, um, and people have just been really excited to be able to be on the state fairgrounds to to carry on those family traditions and to make those memories. We're talking with Missouri Director of Agriculture Chris Chin from the Missouri State Fair in Sedalia, and I think that's a big part of it, uh, Chris. People did not want to lose uh, those traditions and and that experience that uh, they look forward to each year at the state fair. You're exactly right. You know, I've I've talked to families that this is their 30th year coming to the state fair. Um, Some people talk about how their grandparents showed in the Coliseum or their grandparents showed in the hog barn. And so they really wanted their kids to have that opportunity as well. Plus, this year, we had a lot of capital improvements on the state fairgrounds. Um, It's been over 12 years since there was any money poured into the state fairgrounds. We have a brand-new renovated sheep pavilion. This wine barn got all upgraded electrical um, to it this year. The cattle barns had a lot of work done to them, as well as the horse barns. And so there, there was a lot of excitement about the fair this year because people wanted to come see the new additions that had been made on the fairgrounds. And so that also played into why it was so important for them to be able to be here, especially 
for those families who had shown in the, in the sheep pavilion, their building had um, really got run down. And so they were super excited to be able to come and show in that new pavilion. How will the reduced schedule of events that you have this year, how will that impact next year's fair? You know, it's going to be a huge challenge because we are not charging admission on the state fairgrounds. We're not charging um, for anything. So everything is, is free. You can come out, walk through the, uh, the barns if you want. Um, but it is going to have a financial impact on us because we are not bringing in any income. And so we're going to have to work very closely with our state legislature to make sure that we have enough money to start up next year for the state fair. Um, and those conversations have already started. So as Director of Agriculture in the state, how has, and you cover a lot of areas, uh, how has COVID impacted what you do and kind of give us an idea as uh, the Department of Agriculture, Missouri, what you are doing uh, COVID-related? Well, you know, agriculture is essential. And so the people that we serve in the state of Missouri life has really not changed for them. They've still had to go to work every single day. And so we've, we've been here to support them and make sure that they have the tools they need to be successful. We have helped processors, um, food processors find PPE. Um, we continue to be in close conversation with all of our processors across the state of Missouri to make sure they have the supplies they needed to keep their employees safe. Many of the meetings that we normally would be going to this time of year um, have become virtual, so that's very different. And that's very challenging for agriculture because many of our farmers and ranchers lack high-speed internet service. And so they're unable to communicate through this new style of meetings, and it's very frustrating for them. So we continue to talk about the need for high-speed internet in our rural areas. And I think through COVID, that's something that has really come come out um, as to be one of the biggest challenges in our rural communities that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think COVID has has kind of highlighted that need, right, for uh, better broadband service, or in some cases, just getting broadband service in rural America. Absolutely. You know, we have so many kids who last fall got sent home from college and had to do online learning, but they couldn't learn from home. You know, they were having to go to somebody else's home or to a business and sit in a parking lot to use the Internet. And so, you know, that's something that we can't continue. And so I think it's really been highlighted um, and it's become one of those issues that are in the forefront of everyone's mind that people are talking about how do we change this. And so while we hate that this happened, we are happy to see that other people are realizing the challenges that rural America is facing when it comes to high-speed Internet, not just for agriculture, but for education as well as telemedicine. There at the fair this year, uh, I'm sure you, you have family and friends coming to watch the livestock judging. Have there been many other spectators come just to be on the fairgrounds? You know, this weekend we did see some people who were coming out to walk. Um, you know, it's a wide open space. It's very easy to social distance. We saw some people who were just coming through the barns to look at the livestock, um, you know, to to learn more about it. They would ask questions of the exhibitors. It was just a much more laid-back atmosphere this weekend. You know, people were able to take time and visit. There wasn't as much noise on the fairgrounds as we normally have, so those conversations were able to take place. So we were excited about that. We do have many vendors out here on the fairgrounds for concessions, um, so that way the families who are here with the exhibitors have the opportunity to get food on the fairgrounds. And so some of the local community has actually been driving through and picking up curbside 
fair food, which has been exciting for us to see, to help see them out here supporting our vendors, but also being, um, you know, careful to make sure that we're, we're observing the social distancing rules. Yeah, I was I was wondering how many vendors would be there, and I was also thinking about the impact on a community and a, and a region like there in Sedalia and around that area. State Fair is a big part of their economic activity within a in any given year. Yes, it is, and and we know that it's had a huge impact on the local community. But the businesses who have come out to set up, you know, food trucks and things of that like that, have been very appreciative of the exhibitors and their families. For being here and helping them because many of those businesses depend on the income from the state fair to help get them through. Um, and so while we don't have as many visitors as normal to the state fairgrounds, they have been appreciative of what we do have here. Well, I know it's been a challenge. Uh, you'd hope to have the full fair and then you started having to scale back, but I think uh, certainly sounds like for those involved and uh, some others uh, around them, uh, thankful just you have the opportunity to have what you have this year in, in your judging events. We are. We are very happy with what we have. The, the exhibitors were just so thankful. They were really nervous that they weren't going to be able to come to State Fair. Um, for some of these kids, there were no county fairs for them to show at, so this is their first time to, sh- to show their animal. Um, and, you know, many parents were just happy to see their children be able to complete a project that they started. That's so important for our youth growing up to know what it's like to to see something from start to finish. And so this has given them that opportunity. And, and so many parents have just thanked us for finding a way to make it happen. And so at the end of the day, all the, the hardships that we may have endured in trying to plan the state fair and make it happen, um, to know that, that people see the hard work and they appreciate it really makes it um, worth the time that we spent to make this happen. Yeah, and not to downplay the other aspects of the fair because they're important too. But really, what's happening there at your fair this year? The the, the youth and the showing their projects, the the judging. That's the core of the fair. That's that's the base right there. That's exactly right. We went back to the basics, and it's been really refreshing. You know, everybody's sad that it's different this year, but what we've seen is families have brought cornhole, um, and they've had cornhole games of an evening or washer games. They're spending more time as a family unit, um, just enjoying their family time together, and that's something that we've seen. Lots of smiles, lots of parents telling us, we'll be ready for the fair to return to normal next year, but we've made a lot of good memories with just our kids this year that we probably wouldn't have done if it was a there. So, um, you know, you got to find the bright spot in every bad situation, and that's exactly what these families have done. All right. Very good. Chris, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you and glad to hear that uh, uh, you're able to have uh, the fair that you're having there and things are going well. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. Take care. Missouri Director of Agriculture Chris Chin from Sedalia at the Missouri State Fair. Their judging competition continues this week. All right. Up next, the latest Ag Equipment Sales Numbers. We'll talk with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That's next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Let's check in with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, good to talk with you again. You have the latest uh, numbers, the July numbers. How do they look? Well, I'll tell you what, we were pleasantly surprised by the uh, July numbers like we have been with the past previous months. Uh, despite, the, you know, sort of some storm clouds in the ag sector, tractors are actually selling okay out in, out in the country. A lot of that's being driven by uh, small horsepower tractors under 40 horsepower, 40 to 100 horsepower tractors. But I'll tell you what, combines and and uh, 100 plus horsepower tractors are actually doing okay too. Well, we're headed into harvest. Looks like it's going to be a big crop for the most part. Uh, and even with the ag economy the way it's been, the way markets have been, you have to be pleasantly surprised with those numbers. We, we absolutely are pleasantly surprised. And again, it's, it's been the story for the last couple of months is this, I mean, it was really driving the big percentages is this under 40 horsepower tractor market. And we're up 40% uh, for the month of July and in nearly 20% uh, year to date in those tractors. And just, you know, by comparison, that amounts to about, you know, about 20,000 additional tractors were sold in that segment this year. That's a lot of tractors. That's representing a lot of people, though, that are, you know, stuck at home in quarantine and maybe getting a lawn tractor or getting a, a, a tool tractor for their acreage. So it's not a lot of farmers in that segment. But those next markets, you know, where we do talk about farmers, 100-plus uh, horsepower tractors up about 4.5% uh, for the month of July, almost dived, digging us out of that ditch that we've been in for that segment uh, for the year. So that's that's pretty good news. And as you say, there's a good – Good-looking crop out there, and, and still have to get that, that crop out of the field. So there's, you know, obviously there's there's a little bit of optimism out there. If we could just see this, uh, the prices turn around, the ag economy turn around, who knows what could happen. What segments did not see as much strength this time? Well, we continue to see some real softness in that uh, all uh, articulated four-wheel drive tractors. Articulated four-wheel drive tractors uh, are down about 12% for the year, a little over 12% for the year. And that, that's not a lot of numbers. That's about 200 fewer units, a little over 200 fewer units. Uh, but it's still, it's a, that's, that, that represents a, you know, a sizable drop. In fact, for the month of July, we're down about 20%. Now, keep in mind, not all of those big four-wheel drive tractors are used for ag either. A lot of those are used for construction. And though our friends on the construction side of AEM are seeing some real softness in that market as they sort of look at, you know, how how construction projects are going to be funded for the next few years, given, you know, how much money we're spending on 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 pandemic uh, uh, funding right now. So there's some real concerns about the construction market. But again, that's that's not a bad story necessarily on the articulated four-wheel drive. And then what a bright, shining spot that's a bit of a surprise is the self-propelled combine market. It's actually doing okay. Uh, a lot of that's been driven by some new technology that's out there. There's several new models. And, again, we're approaching harvest time. So this is, this is when you really start to begin thinking about what your, what your equipment profile is going to look like so you can get this good-looking crop out of the field. What's inventory like? Well, inventory, you know, it, it kind of it kind of varies. What we what we do see that uh, uh, you know the, the 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 new and used markets. I mean, the, you know, for certainly for the big tractors, those have been really pretty closely aligned to you know for you to get 
some of the, the high demand tractors, you might be you might need to order it and wait for a little bit. So that inventory has been pretty tightly controlled for the farm stuff. And then for the ag, uh, for the uh, for the small tractors, I mean, as we mentioned, with when you're seeing those sales that are coming in pretty surprisingly, those inventory numbers are actually starting to get a little bit sparse out there. In fact, we hear from some of our members that, uh, you know, they, they're selling everything to get. Uh, they, the dealers are selling what's, on the, selling what's on the lot. So, I mean, we've got some concerns about the supply chain and the disruptions that we were dealing with earlier in the year. And we're still sort of working through what that looks like. I think our members are really trying to uh, reevaluate how that supply chain looks just to make sure that we're not in a in a fragile situation like we like we were in March, but the inventory numbers. I mean, I, I love it when when supply equals demand. That's when the uh, the market's about as efficient as it can be, and everybody makes a bit of money along the way. So we're I'd like to think that that uh, we're getting that that inventory numbers where they need to be, in the same way with the, both the new and the used on the dealers' lots. They're sort of lining up right about where they need to be. Let's talk again about how the industry has, is dealing with COVID. It, it not ever not doing everything the way we've always done it. I mean, the, the changes have been made. How have they been going? Well, it is it is certainly interesting times. I mean, here in you know with with most of the major farm shows sort of off of off off for the rest of the year, and some real question marks about what stuff is going to look like moving forward. I think farmers are finding some unique ways to learn about that new equipment and learn about their 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 new products that they're trying to put into their farm. So we're seeing a, a big uptick in, in, uh, in virtual conversations. We're seeing some really interesting things happening at the dealer front where where uh, uh, dealers are are using some of the digital tools to reach out to the farmers to help them both with uh, with their servicing needs, but also helping them with uh, with their education needs. I think that's going to be a trend that's going to continue because we've recognized that these tools have been available to us, just haven't had a need to use them. I mean, nothing beats face to face. There's no question about that. We all want to be face to face, but in absence of being able to do that, there's some pretty neat tools that 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 are allowing farmers to do a pretty good job to get access to this information that maybe they hadn't, hadn't had you know good access to before um, uh, or haven't had the excuse to use that technology to get access to that information. And I guess we're all learning new ways to do things, that's for sure. Kurt, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the numbers, and we'll talk again next month. You bet. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a good day. You too. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment manufacturers that wraps it up for today thanks again for being with us really appreciate it we'll talk again tomorrow hope you'll join us right here on aoa adams on agriculture stay safe everyone